You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. I am so excited that my guest this week is Dr. Vivian Min, neuroscientist, entrepreneur, and human potential maximizer. She co-founded Circos, her fourth company, where she combines machine learning, cognitive neuroscience, and economics to maximize life outcomes in education and the workplace. Vivian invented AI systems to help treat her diabetic son, predict manic episodes in bipolar sufferers weeks in advance, and reunited orphaned refugees with extended family members. She speaks frequently on her AI-driven research into the future of work, education, inclusion, gender in business, and technology in society, and is the author of upcoming How to Robot Proof Your Kids, and the tax on being different. So welcome to the podcast, Vivian. It is such a pleasure to be here. So there's just one question this week, because I think we could go anywhere and back again with this one. Um, And it's from a particularly eloquent entrepreneur who is overwhelmed, shall we say, by ideas and possibilities. They've asked, in a previous episode, your guest talked about hyperfocus being the key to how they accelerated the growth of their AI startup. I can't focus, yet alone hyperfocus. My ideas barely get started and are never completed. I don't know if it's just because I don't know how to focus or if it is a sign that I should do something different with my life. Each time I sit down to work on my startup, I get distracted by other better ideas and possibilities. And the doubt that floods in means it's really hard not to just discard my current idea and work on a better one. Do I need to get somebody in to do the execution in order to get this moving? Or is there a way to learn and to focus and to prioritize my ideas so that I can see this through? So I think there's a PhD or three or four in that question. But before we kick off, could you introduce yourself and your journey, particularly as an entrepreneur and inventor? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. There is so much to be said to that question. Um, so I started my professional career as a theoretical neuroscientist. I did my work in psychology and computational neuroscience at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and then was at Stanford and Berkeley. Uh, and as with a lot of academics in the Bay Area, I eventually got the entrepreneurial bug, uh, started my first company, an educational technology company with my wife, who now runs research for the San Francisco school system. Gosh, 10 years ago, more than that. And, uh, so interestingly, given your, your introduction, I'm actually on to number five now. Oh, wow. The one ahead of me. Um, which is relevant to the question, actually, about hyperfocus. Uh, so the very nature, this is the worst business idea I've ever had. It flies directly in the face of hyperfocus. And it is a think tank. And we go around the world and solve problems because they should be solved. And if I have to pay to do it, then I pay to do it. Uh, I pay some other poor bastard to figure out how to fund all this. Uh, but it turns out when we go out and solve interesting problems, when we uh, use artificial intelligence to help an AI hotline save lives, when we build an economic empowerment index uh, around refugees 
around LGBT uh, entrepreneurs when we go around the world and uh, look at the impact of groups like the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, or track the educational outcomes of young children uh, in wildly different contexts, the U.S. and Singapore and South Africa and China, every one of these is, to me, the same problem. How do we put value back into a human life? But, of course, they get expressed wildly differently. And in that sense, I am both hyper-focused when giant companies ask me to be their chief scientist to build a self-driving car. Mm -hmm. I immediately say no. I can geek out about self-driving cars with the best of you, but uh, I'm interested in building better people, not cars. Uh, on the other hand, when Accenture wants to know how to maximize uh, the sort of meaningful life outcomes of their nearly half million employees, I see no difference to that problem than in changing the life of a little kid in a township outside Johannesburg or in inventing a treatment for diabetes or bipolar or any of the other projects I've ever worked on. They are the exact same problem to me. Uh, all human life can be amazing. All of it has value. And yet very few of us, for any number of reasons, very few of us have an opportunity to truly express that value throughout the course of our lives. So I get the feedback all the time. You need to be more focused. Uh, and in response to that feedback, I have founded a company that has no focus at all. We take on projects anywhere. It doesn't matter if you can pay for it. Uh, what matters is that we feel we can truly make a positive difference in the world. And uh, so we're all over the place. And uh, believe me, I am sympathetic to the, uh, the question writer. I, I feel like I'm all over the place. And maybe my solution to that is, so I work on 50 different things at the same time. And I, I mean, everyone tells me that same story about um, pick one thing, do it amazingly well. I'm not going to disagree. It's a great strategy if it works for you. Yeah. If you if your board, boredom threshold is, is such a different leap, <laughs> uh, you kind of get energized by that. Um, not everybody does, I guess. Yeah, it's well. I, I mean, the the I I actually study the uh, constructs, as we call it, as a scientist. I I've managed to trick a lot of VCs into thinking I'm a, an entrepreneur, but really, I'm still a scientist. I just I use their money to secretly run my mad science experiments. <laughs> uh, and let me say, being a professional mad scientist is the coolest job in the entire world. And it turns out as long as you keep paying them back, they keep falling for the scam. So in this context, we, we actually track 50 different constructs about people that are predictive of positive life outcomes. And, and many of them have explicitly been studied in the context of entrepreneurs, things like resilience and, and growth mindset, uh, general cognitive ability, uh, social skills. If, if you look at these in detail, some of them really are about focus. One of my favorite constructs uh, is purpose. Now, I study this as a hard number scientist. I know purpose feels like a, a very loose and, and philosophical concept, but in the psychological literature, we study purpose, uh, and it's measurable. It's something that's bigger than you, which would probably take more than a lifetime to complete. 
So your career is not a purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. Going to the the school you want to go to to get a degree someday, that's not a purpose. It's, it's you know, a purpose in some ways. I always loved the aphorism, um, the world gets better when old men plant trees. If you're out planting trees uh, and you will never be alive to sit under their shade, you're serving a purpose. And so we can actually measure that in people. And I love purpose as a construct because it is strongly associated with living longer, earning more, going further in your education. But it's also one of the rare constructs that's also strongly associated with happiness, the sense of, of a job well done. Um, and it turns out one of the, one of the, the best expressions of purpose is being able to say no when there's no right answer. Um, ah, interesting. Yeah. To yourself, presumably. To yourself as well as... Absolutely. So let me say, when those fancy, fancy job offers come, help us build a self-driving car, they come with a lot of money. They come with giant teams and profile. And I'm not, it's not trivial saying no to something like that. But having a sense of purpose. I'm here to build better people. Uh that allows me to very easily look at something like that and say no. Now, there's still an infinite number of other projects I can and seemingly do work on, but I'm able to cut out a vast number of them that have something. Maybe it's the money, maybe it's uh, the, the scope, the impact, where there's a good reason to say yes. But I actually have just a pat email. I write them and I say, this will have to be another in a long line of terrible career decisions. But no, thank you. Uh, and that served me incredibly well. So that's one trick that I use. It's not a trick, of course. It's something deep about myself. Uh, is I built myself a purpose. You don't sit back and wait for it to come to you. There isn't one thing in this world you're meant to do. You go build it for yourself. And then you wield it and lead a meaningful life. Uh, and that's the easiest way I have found to really stay focused on the things that matter to me. So even though I might work, be working on a project or broadly speaking, my team and my think tank is working on a project uh, around uh, a suicide hotline on one side and kids with a fatal illness on the other, in working on both of these uh, human good projects, we're actually learning things that inform the other side. Uh, you know, this is true. It may be mad science, but it's still true science. We're learning. Um, these aren't engineering projects. We don't know how to do them right. Or, you know, someone else would already have figured this out. So, um, so in some sense, you know, there, there is a degree of focus to what I do. Absolutely. Because it's around a solution. I mean, it's around solution to questions that have meaning to you and to a wider group. So it may not be focus in the sense that you're executing on the same theme or the same idea deeper, deeper, deeper sequentially, but it's it's deliberate. There is a deliberate context and process that you are going through in assessing it. Absolutely. And we learn and share and in and I hope not the business speak sense, but the most meaningful sense. You know, we're looking at things that are synergistic. When we understand more about um, 
how to find value in a health and a life that is challenged with bipolar or autism. Um, when we, it, it actually informs our understanding of how to help uh, a little kid that isn't experiencing those same challenges or how to help a high performance adult in the workplace or someone that's struggling economically. It turns out people are people. Um, our lives are genuinely different. Our experiences are different, but in very deep ways, the same things predict amazing life outcomes. And the opportunity to really leverage what we learn across one project into another is powerful. Nonetheless, um, I believe we just kicked off two new projects uh, just yesterday. And we may be launching another one today. That's the speed with which new things come into my life. And as you might imagine... <laughs> projects uh, are completed and an exit on the other side with a similar rapidity. And um, in that sense, I, I think you need to take a different perspective for the person writing this question. The point isn't how should they change to be more like other successful entrepreneurs, but rather what can they learn from all successful entrepreneurs about how to take what they're good at and be as successful as possible. Um, so I, I talked about all these constructs we track. Currently 50, I'm sure in a month it'll be 53. Uh, what's interesting in this is there's no single thing, uh, resilience or perspective taking or self-assessment, there is no single thing which is uniquely predictive. And in fact, what we see is for entrepreneurs, let's focus on them, we see a pattern of strengths uh, but no one's great at everything. Everybody mm -hmm. has weaknesses. And this is one of them. I, this is one of my weaknesses too. Every new idea about people is an exciting one I want to work on immediately. <laughs> oh, I'm exactly the same. And I have to admit, uh, I'm on my fifth company. I've also been a uh, senior executive uh, at a number of companies. I, 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 it really resonates what, you know, this writer is talking about because, um, I don't love running companies. To me, uh, actually making a successful startup is just sort of an ugly responsibility. I want to solve the problem. Once I've solved the problem, I don't care about the rest. Um, and I will freely acknowledge I'm not a great manager. I, I would like to believe I'm a pretty good leader. I'm a great collaborator. Uh, I'm an amazing creative collaborator, but I have my weaknesses and I'm pretty clear on what they are. And so what we see in people that are successful are compensatory strategies for your weaknesses. It is one of the only ubiquitous agreement, uh, uh, ingredients to success, understanding where you struggle and not pretending like it's not a problem or arbitrarily forcing yourself to be better at it, but coming up with a strategy to compensate for it. I'm not great socially. I'm not a great manager. So I do a few things. One thing I do is I hire people that are good at these sorts of things. So uh, the writer asks about finding someone that has real focus. Boy, hiring a chief operating officer for me is one of the smartest things I ever did. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a deep part of me that doesn't actually care whether my companies are successful or not. <laughs> what I care about is that our projects make a difference in people's lives. Well, you know, that's not very sustainable if you can't pay for everything. So I hire people who actually care about that. 
uh, and they complement my weakness, which is I'm a crazy mad scientist and I would happily pay for everything out of pocket <laughs> until the bank gives us a call and shuts us down. Um, and I don't pretend, I don't force myself to be a different person than I am. I simply acknowledge my weaknesses and I, I invest deeply in strategies to complement them. Uh, some of the other strategies there is, um, well, frankly, be a grown up. Um, I, I hate doing it, but every one of my five startups, it was just me at first. And there are times when you have to just execute on things. Yeah. Now, pretending deeply that that's who you are, failing to acknowledge that this isn't going to be your long-term recipe for success is not what I'm talking about. But sometimes part of being resilient is staring down the barrel of something you uh, that just repulses you. I hate sales. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> Um, it's so wonderful to hear an American say that. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was like absolutely entrenched in US DNA. No, I, uh, you know, a part of it coming from being an academic. You know, there's a kind of wild, intellectually arrogant part of me that would love to be able to say, hey, I just invented broccoli. Broccoli is good for you. Buy it. <laughs> yeah. um, and nothing works that way. And uh, so, of course, part of my strategy here is find someone uh, that has a very different d DNA to me uh, when it comes to sales, and, and they go and execute on that sort of thing, and that's wonderful. But there's always a time when I have to be there and be part of this. And, you know, now that I've been do doing it for however many years, it's a little less painful than it used to be, but it's still not my instinct. I, I will be, I'll be free. My team hates it when I say this, but every project I do, I would happily do for free. Not only that, I would pay for the privilege. I only work on things that I believe are so important that I would steal from my kids' college fund to do it. Um, I have more than enough projects in front of me that we go deep along that road. But at the same time, if I do that, then in the grand, grand scheme of things, I do fewer projects and fewer people are helped. Um, and so, uh, you know, part of this is just me being a grown-up. I recognize that people benefit from the work that I do. Um, there are times when no one can pay for it but me, and I will do that. And there are other times when a big, giant company like Accenture uh, is an amazing partner to work with, and, but I'm a grown-up enough to recognize they got a lot of money, and we're helping them a lot. And it's okay. It, I'm not a bad person uh, if they pay for the value that I bring to their company. And, you know, that it took me a long time to get comfortable with that. Presumably, there is no value in an idea until it is extracted somehow from your out of your head and into the real world. So if, if it's just sitting there as you know, noise in your head, it, it, it's not anything with inherent value yet. Well, it's certainly something that I was taught very early in my career as a scientist is um, the process of science isn't about a person or about a discovery. It's the slow process of building uh, off of one insight after another. And if you fail to be able to articulate what you have discovered to the rest of the world, if they don't understand what you're doing, uh, if, if it hasn't made an impact, then you haven't actually discovered anything. 
And certainly as I became an entrepreneur, the same thing is true. Um, I can invent something new. Uh, I can make a new discovery. But if it doesn't actually become, for lack of a better term, a product that people use it, even if we're giving that product away for free, and that's a lot of the work that I do, uh, then I have not changed anyone's life. And that's actually a pretty brutal reality because uh, I've done some work in education that I am inordinately proud of, that I think truly did or should have done good in the world, but no one actually wanted to use it. Um, and often for very frustrating reasons. And the simple reality is it doesn't matter if in some weird theoretical world, I was right and they should have used this product. If no one used it, you didn't make the world better. Uh, and you have to come to terms with that reality. So eventually there's a certain degree where you need to be resilient. You need to take control of yourself uh, and you do need to buckle down and make certain that things happen. Uh, but there's also a, a great reality that your biggest impact on the world will be focusing on the things uh, that you're willing to sacrifice for, that you're willing to go out there uh, and work on, even if no one was paying you to do. Um, and at all those times when you are spending an, an enormous amount of energy trying to be a person that you're not, um, you're less effective in the ways that you could be. Uh, and that's why I love this idea of building complementary teams uh, and finding bringing together people, you know, maybe someone that has an amazing creative streak and another that is an exquisite communicator and the last that just figures out how to get things done. Um, and there's so many other ways to be complementary to life experiences uh, is another way and, and, and so many others. But there's an incredible value in that. And if you have a hang up about being the person that founded the company, or the person that the press, you know, interviews, uh, you're not serving your purpose. Uh, your purpose is to make a, a positive change in the world. I, I genuinely believe that that's a route to success in life. And if you obsess over whether you think you're getting all the credit you ought to, then you really need to step back and say, why am I doing this? Is, am I, am I doing this because I want people's respect? Because I want the, press to notice me because I want to be rich. Those are very different purposes than um, I want to make better people. And uh, I think every now and then, in fact, uh, some negative, uh, you know, experiences, some negative feedbacks is really healthy. It, it aligns you with the reality that it's not about you. And it's not about your happiness. It's about making a positive difference in the world. Uh, and you need to remember that sometimes making a positive difference uh, requires sacrifice. Uh, and this is a perfect example. Uh, if if you're afraid that bringing someone else in on a company means less money for you or recogni less recognition for you, then this may not be the right career choice uh, because that's not what this is about. And that's really interesting because you're talking in so many ways there about diversity of thought being that core component of innovation, creativity, collaboration. And yet, often when you talk about diversity with a, a small b, people kind of 
switch off or you, you get your hired boiled executive or somebody that's being driven from a very different place just switching off or dismissing that. But it actually seems in terms of what you're saying about complementary skills an absolutely essential component of making these things happen. I don't know how you think you're going to understand your market if it's just you. You understand one market, and it's you and the small number of people in the world that are just like you. So even from that simple perspective, there is a giant failure state. So uh, for me... You know, I'm not looking, in a sense, for arbitrary diversity or diversity to, to check a box. Um, I am thinking hard. How do I build an organization uh, that is going to make our job easier, that's going to bring insights uh, and increase the creative potential of the organization? The last thing I need to do is build a company where I tell my employees what to do. Uh, particularly given the nature of the work I engage in, uh, I don't want to oversell what AI is capable of. But, you know, to some degree, if I want to tell someone, you know, some exact strategy for how to execute and just have them carry it out like they're part of a machine, well, then I can start to, you know, we're in the early days of being able to literally build machines to do that. Uh, there's no value mm-hmm. in a human being doing exactly what they're told. The value is in bringing together a team of people and explaining to them why we're doing what we're doing, role modeling for them what it means to be successful in our efforts, and then trusting and believing uh, that they then will go out and discover the problem, bring creative solutions to it, learn from one another, and when they need my help, They'll ask for it. Um, so when I look at myself as a leader in, in my companies, my job is, um, is why. My number one job is explaining why. Explaining why to my mm-hmm. employees, uh, to my potential customers broadly defined, uh, to the community in general. Uh, and after that, my only other job is being a resource to my team to make them even more successful. Uh, and again, my, my personal strength is, is sort of collaborative. It's creative. Um, and in that sense, uh, I'm, I don't manage people. Uh, I, I try to make myself available as a, as a collaborator and all these crazy mad science experiments we're running. And I leave, uh, management to people that are actually great at managing, you know, people that can see the potential in someone and help bring it out of them in in an amazing way. As my wife says in her education research, if you don't believe everyone can be better, you shouldn't be a teacher. And I happen to believe the same thing about Mm -hmm. managers. I actually do believe everyone can be better, but it turns out I I honestly, um, there are autistic badgers out there that have uh, stronger social relationships than I do. So uh, you know, I rely on, on other <laughs> more uh, socially evolved people to help help foster that. But I take my marching orders from them as well. When they need help in bringing out someone's creative potential, I am doing what they're told. Um, so I'm a pretty big believer in this idea that uh, the boss actually works for everyone else. Uh, once I've set the why, 
That's the one thing where I'm right out in front of. Once I've done that, I work for everyone else in making them successful because there's zero value and everyone just staring at me waiting for their orders. Uh, if I want that, I'll just build an AI to do it. Yeah, and if you knew how to do it, you'd have probably done it. The fact that you're bringing other people any time into your idea, into your business, is because uh, you are greater than the sum is greater than any individual within it because you make this work together. Yeah, I agree with that, and and there's no doubt when you look at these sorts of things, uh, and we're beginning to take the constructs we study in individuals uh, that have to do with positive life outcomes, and we're actually beginning to think about what do they mean in the context of an organization. What is organizational purpose? What is organizational working memory uh, or communication skills? And it turns out in, in some contexts, they are fundamentally transformed when you're talking about a group of people. And again, our goal is always uh, you know, making a difference. We, we measure our success in some cases, quite literally, in how many additional people are alive when our project is done. Uh, and in that sense, um, Everyone on our team needs to be ready to really serve that purpose in their own way, in the way that brings their strengths to bear. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I get it. I hear it all the time about hyperfocus. Um, I just got feedback from someone that they, we, we had asked them to help us put together some, some branding strategy around the new think tank because it, I sort of loathe some concepts, but I realize it, it, it means something in the world to be able to clearly communicate who you are. Uh, I, I personally thought we're a team of mad scientists doing experiments on orphans would be good enough, but apparently that sounds <laughs> some crazy. People. Um, I think that sounds great. <laughs> uh, I, especially when you know that we do work in neuroprosthetics. So not only are we mad scientists doing experiments on orphans, uh, we're actually jamming computer chips in their brain. Please, anyone listening to this, understand that of all the projects I've ever worked on, the only one where we explicitly worked on orphans was building AI to reunite orphan refugees with extended family members in UN camps. I'm just joking. Uh, it seems ridiculous that I need to say this, but occasionally I'm told that my sense of humor might occasionally get me in trouble. So understand. Uh, having said that, so we asked this person uh, a famous uh, and amazingly talented market researcher. And their immediate feedback was, well, couldn't we dumb it down and make it simpler and really refine the, the scope of the business in a way that just is clear for everyone else? And, you know, my answer to them was that what we do is good. Uh, what we do is right. And we shouldn't compromise on what we do to be able to fit into someone else's idea of, let's say, what a consultancy is or uh, what a nonprofit does in the world. We should figure out the right way to communicate who we actually are. Um, and if that means some people don't get it, that's probably a good thing. We call ourselves mad scientists right on our landing page. Because quite frankly, the vast majority of our potential partners in the world would be uncomfortable with that. And it's better for us to know it right up front. If you want someone to tell you what the standard uh, practices are in your industry, then you're not interested in working with an organization like us. If you want someone to come in and do something completely different than what has been tried before, 
if you're tackling a project that it feels like everyone else has given up on, and let's be blunt, issues like diversity and inclusion are kind of like that today. I, I think everyone talks about it, but in many organizations, if you go talk in private with senior leadership, many of them are feeling a little bit like, you know, we really care, but nothing seems to fix these problems. And that's exactly the sort of space where we get a chance to come in and do something completely different. And, you know, it seems strange sometimes that I view working with big companies as philanthropic work. But what I actually view is we're trying to change the way um, people think about inclusion. Uh, the, the world, I think, would be undeniably a better place if everyone had the chance to contribute fully. And right now they don't. And they don't on the order of the vast majority of the people on the planet. I'm not delusional. We're not going to live in a world tomorrow where 8 billion people get to be part of the creative class, as we might call it. But what if it was twice as many people? Or what if it was maybe even a billion people? What would that world be like? And that's the world I want to build. That's the world I want my kids to grow up in. And there's some real value to be created for companies in doing that work. But that's not why we do it. We're just adult enough to recognize that occasionally someone owns that value proposition and they're happy to pay for the privilege. And that fortuitously pays for everything else we do. And it's just been the most amazing experience. But it's sort of a celebration of attention deficit disorder. You know, our whole company is an indulgence and do whatever <laughs> feels like it's going to be most important today. But we are grown up about it. And finally made that difference in people's lives. But the point is you're doing it. Yeah, it's doing it. And, that, and, and that's the key thing. And I think it's fascinating having taken this question and listened to what you're doing. Because it seems like the, the whole problem that the person here originally kind of got in touch isn't about focus at all. It's about purpose and it's still about them coming to understand themselves and, and what they want from life and how they can make the biggest impact. Because if they recognize that in themselves, almost the problems start to prioritize themselves and the process of where they devote their time and the time of the people around them will start to prioritize itself because they've made the most important piece of recognition that you have clearly made and and, and, and you may say that you, you lack the social skills, but I could certainly tell you I'd give up my job tomorrow and come and work with you. So uh, <laughs> you're obviously getting something across very clearly in that expression. I, I've learned how to fake it uh, in later now in my life. But, you know, probably the, the, the most stark example. Uh, I, I know hearing someone like me kind of pompously pontificate about how other people ought to lead their lives you know, and and particularly, I, I get up. I'm I'm up on stage in front of ten thousand people, telling them I'm an introvert. It sounds like bullshit. So let's go back, you know, to 1995, and I'm homeless, having flunked out of university a few years before that. And now we forward um, to the year 2000, ten years after flunking out of school and and just having a, a, a miserable. Uh, uh, early life that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And I go back to that same university and I completed my entire undergraduate degree in a single year uh, and, you know, got perfect scores in every class. And 
What was different between those two experiences? I'm the same person that failed miserably, and I own that as the one that did superlatively well. And the only real difference, I was studying the same things at the same university, and I was nominally the same person, although well on the way to that not being true anymore. And what was different? That second time around, I sat up front of every class and everything that came out of a professor's mouth, I thought, how can I use this? There is something I want to do in this world. How can I use this? And it didn't matter what the class was on. It would be totally peripheral seeming. A course on the Supreme Court of the United States uh, was one of the first things I took. And it had nothing to do with the work I'd eventually do as a neuroscientist or neuroprosthetics, but everything, how can I use this? When you recast what's available in your life, the opportunities you have, the information, the projects you're working in, in terms of how can I use this uh, to make this world better? You can't just walk away from a project. Uh, you're no longer free to just say, well, that was fun, but now I want to do another thing that's even more fun because now that's having fun is not what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I don't want to trivialize how this person is experiencing their work. Uh, you know, something seems really cool and then another thing seems really cool. But if cool for you means that what I'm working on is going to make some meaningful difference in the world. And of course, you could have a totally def different definition of meaningful than mine. Mine is, is I don't know, it's a very woo-woo and la-di-da. And I get that. Not everyone is out there to, you know, build better people or human potential. Uh, this is just my thing. Uh, it, uh, there's not one objective morality to this world. This is what motivates me. If what motivates you is geeking out about the world's toughest problems and you feel like your trouble is you keep finding new, even funner, geekier problems to work on, well, you need to think about how actually solving a problem to completion and delivering that solution into the market is actually part of even better solutions in the future. Because I guarantee you, if you think just tinkering on a problem is the same thing as solving it, you have missed everything about uh, bringing solutions into the world. Uh, I, I have worked on some projects where in two months we brought something completely new into the world and it was amazing. But I've worked on others that took 10 years from start to finish, before we really understood the problem well enough to be confident that we brought something meaningful and new into the world. And the simple truth is, learned as a scientist, is you're never right. And there's always more to learn. So if you're tinkering and you're jumping to something else because it feels more fun, I guarantee you, you're not going deep enough into these problems to truly have understood them. And to truly have satisfied that need to scratch that itch, you made a difference. Um, so even in your own framework, your own context of what's next in your life, it's got to be that you have taken something to completion because otherwise you really didn't make a difference. Once you've done that, though, hey, that's great. Go fucking die and reincarnate and do something different in your life. Um, that was advice I got to give, uh, to a bunch of college students at a, 
at a, uh, a university student. I, I was invited actually to give the convocation back at my same um, university, my alma mater. Uh, you know, who better than the person who flunked out and then did crazily well? And my my three uh, pieces of encouragement was whatever you're doing right now, go all in. Number two was construct your purpose. And number three was just die already and start over again in a new life. Every five years, seven, three, whatever works for you, don't just invent something. Bring it fully into the world. And once you've become great at that, and you brought the best thing you possibly can, it's time to die and start all over again. And if you really want to geek out around this, go check out a comic strip called Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial. Uh, it's essentially dirty jokes for physicists, but it's one of my favorite uh, ever. And there's a great strip in there called Many Lives, which articulates this beautifully. Thank you. And thank you for your time. I appreciate how busy you are and um, how precious it is. But believe me, I know uh, you have made an impact not just on me, but on a lot of people that will be listening to this. And um, yes, change will happen as a result of this 45 minutes of your time. So I greatly appreciate it. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Dr. Vivian Ming, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and as ever, submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm.